0: Hi, this is Cindy from TiltHead. I'm here to tell you that this episode has an explicit rating. We will be discussing the Phantom Slayer or the Midnight Murders. This includes topics of murder, sexual assault, and frankly, a few curse words. Hope you enjoy. Hey, want to hear something interesting? Welcome to Tilt Head, the podcast of history, the weird kind, paranormal, and true crime. I'm Cindy, and today I am introducing Mary, our true crime enthusiast and leader in this area. Heather will be back on our next paranormal episode. So Mary, tell us a bit about yourself.
1: I am a mom of two young
0: children. I have known Cindy for a considerable
1: amount of time. I love true crime. I love hanging out with my dogs,
0: and I love hanging out with my hubby. It is true. Mary and I have been friends since elementary school. So those people who say that, oh, you won't keep in contact with your kindergarten friends. Eventually, you just have to because you. I know too much about you. You know too much about me. I mean, at this point, yes. We're going to actually cover a case today that takes place in Texarkana, Texas. Uh, As Heather and I said in other episodes, we'll come out eventually. (laughs) We're trying to make two per month, one true crime and one paranormal. We are covering Texas area right now because Texas is so weird and fun. Why not start here? We're starting in a small town of Texarkana in the 1950 timeframe. I was gonna introduce you a little bit to Texarkana, having been there a couple of times. Texarkana is a town that's shared between two states Arkansas and Texas they have like one part is Texarkana Arkansas and one part's Texarkana Texas it's about an hour away from Dallas and you get to drive up all these backcountry roads it's a beautiful drive in the 1950s Texas didn't really have much going on for it but In Texarkana, they had railroad, which means they had a population, they had the cotton trade, they had all that going on. They also had the Red River Army Depot that opened up for munitions production after World War II. That's where a lot of the population was employed. But... In the 1950s, all of Texas was under the seven year drought. Have you heard about the seven year drought, Mary? That might explain a lot. The killings happened in 1946. Oh, okay. I, I think it goes into the 50s, but it. The, oh, I'm sure they investigated it to then too. Yeah, the drought was pretty significant and it, you know, it had an effect on just all people, what they made in money. Also, I should say that. In the South, of course, there were racial tensions. There was segregation until the 70s, I think, in Texarkana. Just some fun little things. uh, Some notable people that lived there. A lot of football players, which I don't know very much about because I'm not that much into football. But Ross Perot and Otis Williams, who was the founder of the Temptations. What do they sing? Google it. Just like the Ologies podcast. You know, I've never once
1: looked at Texarkana on that, but I'm looking at it right now. And it's like this tiny little thing where just everything is like, yeah, it's, it is about an hour away from Dallas. You're right.
0: Temptations. I'm trying to see. My girl. Just get this. They also sang, I wish it would rain in 1967, which I bet was applicable to the 1950s drought. Yes, there
1: should have been more water for people in the 1940s too.
0: Texas is very hot. Texas is still hot. (laughs) It is very hot. Day it did this muggy thing and it was just kind of miserable. All right, Mary. So bring us to the case. I know that you've studied a lot and I'm excited to hear it.
1: All righty. So we're going to cover 1946 attack. It's pretty much involving eight people, five of which were killed. It does get a little graphic in some parts, but I'm going to try to keep that as thin as possible. The first one happened on February 22nd, 1946, in the county of Bowie. A man named Jimmy Hollis, who was a 25-year-old insurance salesman, and Mary Jean Lowry, who was 19, went to a movie, and then they decided to go to a remote area known as Lover's Lane, or a makeout point. It was 15 miles away from the main road, not easily found. So the couple had been there for like a span of 10 minutes when a man walks up to the driver's side of the car. He has a pillowcase type mask on with two eyes cut out so he could see. He walked up and he said, get out of the car. Jimmy, thinking it must have been a prank, tries to explain he had the wrong guy. To which the masked man said, look, fellow, I don't want to kill you. Just do what I say. With that, that must have been stone cold dread to Oh, oh God, they're just so young, you know? I mean, that's terrifying to be in that moment. They definitely comply with him. He told them to get out of the car they did on the driver's side, first Jimmy, then Mary. In one hand, they noticed he had a flashlight shining right into Jimmy's eyes, and on the other hand, he was holding a pistol, and he told Jimmy to literally take off your goddamn bridges. As soon as they were off, Mary heard two gunshots one second after another, She later realized the masked man never shot Jimmy. The two sounds she heard were the cracking of Jimmy's skull by the end of the man's pistol. With her heart racing, she hopes that he is just there to rob them. She picks up Jimmy's pants and gets the wallet. She opens it and says, look, Jimmy doesn't have any money. He told her to run. She then realizes she might be in a cat and mouse situation, so she runs as fast as she can toward a ditch. In the distance, the man's yelling, no, run the other way so she starts running up the road near a parked car. At this time, she tries to make a break for the road. She does spot a car driving by, but she is just, she's not seen. They don't see her, so they just drive past. Again, it was just the two of them. He knocked her over the head with a blunt object, and then he violated her sexually with his pistol. While this was going on, Jimmy had thankfully been able to come to and had... This time ran to the main road and flagged down a car. The driver shocked, taken off guard, said he was not allowed in their car, but they did drive to the nearest phone, which was a funeral home, and they called the cops. After the assault was done, Mary ran to the nearest house and managed to awake the sleeping residents. The physical recoveries were not too serious for Mary. She was in the hospital for about two days. Then for Jimmy, he was in the hospital for about three or four days. There's just a follow-up story I'll tell you afterwards about that. But anyway, so the police officers go.
0: So real quick. So this was the first of the midnight murders or the phantom slayer. But whenever I had read the story, I had heard something like, I don't know if it was this particular case, but Mary had run to the road. He had acted like someone that she could ask for help. And then she had realized it was him again.
1: Which is horrid. That could have happened when she turned around. She could have seen him. But this was literally a car that just drove right by her.
0: Uh, that's... And then he
1: was behind her. But he, was, he did talk it in a way that was crazy. He did. She made a comment once that she said she could feel the insanity off his voice. Like the way he could change his voices. He was extremely animated. Having that, he probably did things to like play with her even more. But this this whole incident only it only took from start to finish 10 minutes, which is that that's enough time to like destroy these people's world, which it did. But it wasn't a terribly long amount of time for him to have done anything else because he was not a very precise or planned out attacker at all. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I I don't even know what the point of this crime was because he. Yes, he did, he didn't get sexual gratification that we're aware of, even though he did violate Mary, but he didn't, he, he told the guy to pull down his pants. I don't know if he told him to take them off completely or pull them down to incapacitate him from running. And that's what I thought. I, I don't know, but I know that this wasn't the first incident. So I'll let you tell us about the next one. Okay, just a side piece. So when the investigators were
1: asking Jimmy and Mary about their details, they pretty much kept consistent, I will say, in their defense. He was tall. He was limmy. But it was dark. There's no lights around. They're in a wooded area, and he has a mask on. The person who spent the most amount of time with him face-to-face was Mary out of any of the attacks. And she just thought he was black because it was dark. And Jimmy said he was sure that he was white. But, well he didn't say he was sure he was white. Excuse me. He said he thought he was a white man. So because they couldn't agree on the race, they felt that Jimmy and Mary were protecting this person, either because they didn't want retribution or Mary might have had a romantic interest with him.
0: Well, you know, something else I thought about when I was reading this is that he could have just blacked out his eyes with grease paint.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And another thing is people weren't ready for this kind of attacker, so they didn't know how – I mean, victimology wasn't a thing, you know? He was – he's someone who got to people before serial killings were even really talked about. He was a very messy person, and I think he was so disorganized with his crimes. He didn't even have a true gain in any of it but just to commit it, so I think he was like a thrill chaser who was just like on a rage kick, you know? They don't believe he was in the Army. Like a lot of them were coming from World War II because he didn't have any distinct markings of someone who knew how to like hunt, tie up people or anything. He just kind of chased people with guns, which is not something someone who would be an organized criminal would do.
0: I wonder if they thought he was younger, like a terrorizer.
1: Yeah, that that's entirely possible. I mean, these were really physical events. So now I'm going to move on to one thing I want to say real quick. There's a lot of there's, you know, these are couples. And there's a few with big age differences. Mary was 19 and Jimmy was 25. You're going to hear that a lot throughout this. Back then, that's not uncommon. I mean, Mary was already divorced. She got married when she was 16. So people just grew up pretty fast at that point. We are recording. That's right. We, we did not stop. This, this is fluid.
0: I think it's the ADD. The Adderall has definitely worn off at this point.
1: My Adderall goes by
0: 5 p.m. And then I have my hard seltzer
1: for the day which today is lime. It says natural lime. This tastes like Kool-Aid lime.
0: It is not natural. So tell me about the second murders.
1: Okay. Again, I don't know if I said it before, but this is another weekend, as was before. This is the events that involve Richard Griffin and Polly Ann Moore. Richard Griffin was 29, and like many others, had just come back from World War II. He was working as a carpenter, and Polly Ann Moore, she's the one who worked at that one place you were talking about and rented her room from her aunt. She also was married and once divorced, and now she lives with her aunt away from her family and renting a room from hers. Everyone just grew up quick then. On March 23rd, they went out on a double date. That was the last time they were ever seen alive. Then on March 24th, the man driving down the road spotted what he assumed was an abandoned car. But when he got close enough to look in, he saw two people in the car asleep. Surely he thought they were asleep, so he turns around and comes back again, but he sees when he looks in closer, the woman is covered in blood and sprawled out against the back seat, and the man has his pants kind of open with his pockets turned out, and he's slumped over like he was sitting up and probably shot at the side after maybe showing he didn't have money, or maybe the man took the money from the victim's pocket. There were signs that she was actually maybe sexually assaulted outside the car because there was a blanket found with blood. However, today they, you know, modern investigation, they don't think she was actually assaulted sexually, but they do think it's probable she was killed outside the car and put back in there and displayed, which is the first of two people who this person displays once he kills. The police at this point, since the impending danger of their communities, and they do place a $500 reward. In a town like Texarkana, It should not be surprising that it generated about a hundred false leads and nothing more. No autopsy has been recorded to this day.
0: I don't know what their capabilities were with autopsies back then.
1: I also think, I think this guy was not very thorough or careful. I think this was a time when people were genuinely kind of innocent of this and minds like this and like maniacs. I don't know if they, I think they just weren't prepared. I think they just were not prepared.
0: I know that some of the more famous like paranormal cases and some of the more famous murders back in the day didn't actually have autopsies or reasons listed on their death certificates. Not, not even all of them had death certificates. It just ended on the county's capabilities, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. It really did. And they did try to put out a $500 reward, which is a lot of money back then. I mean, I don't know exactly how much, but that's, I mean, back then, that's a big change. So they were trying to put the urgency out there. Now, he wasn't known as the Phantom Slayer yet, and he wasn't called a serial killer yet. Now we go to another weekend a few weeks later, April 13th, 1946. A young girl named Betty Jo Booker had just finished playing a gig with her band at a club. She was in a high school band, by the way. It was late, around 1.30 a.m., and her friend Paul Martin, aged 17, agreed to pick her up afterwards. The pair were seen getting into a car, and we know how the rest of this goes. They never returned to their homes. Next day, a family comes across a body of a young man. He had been shot in the nose, twice in the ribs, the right of his hand, and in the back of his neck. There was more blood just a short distance away from him. Paul Martin had been found. Next, of course, there was a the search for Betty Jo Booker's body, but she was harder to find. The Boyd family came across the girl's body finally, fully clothed around 11.30 a.m. She was positioned against the tree with her hands in her pocket. The band leader said that she should have had a saxophone, but that wasn't found for some time later. She was not seen to have been sexually assaulted. She, of course, was shot once in the chest and in the face. That was his style. The officer also had even more terrifying discovery. The same .32 pistol was used to take the lives of their other last victims, which meant now this is a serial killer. He had picked a good place to do this, multi-counties, and no one had experience with this kind of criminal mind before. The car that he was driving, the car he was driving was found three miles away from Betty Joe's body at a park and the keys were left inside. Upon examining their bodies, the investigators both confirmed that they put up one hell of a fight. Now enter more help from the community. The local police, counties, all united, and not only did they do that, the FBI and the Texas Rangers came to help. The reward was now increased to $1,700, which was an incredible sum for the late 1940s. Of course, a rumor mill, however uninformed it was, started spreading their own opinions on what happened, even saying that he had already been caught. The captain of the Texas Rangers, and someone who had been working personally on the scene, thought it essential to actually make a public announcement to dispel the rumors. He pretty much said on a meeting recorded, if we catch him, we will let you know, do not believe rumors that are not substantiated. Do not blame innocent people. And do you think that stopped them?
0: I'm going to go with the Texas uh, solution of shoot anything that moves on your land.
1: Amen. Yeah. He pretty much advised everyone to oil up their guns, keep them from the kids. And don't blame innocent people, but you shoot whoever comes to your property at night. And guess what? The amount of Dobermans, they became a hot commodity.
0: I've read that certain serial killers did not attack homes with animals. Mm. Yeah. I found that odd. I was like, Spencer's not going to do shit. Well, I will let you know that uh, in addition to our home alarm system, We have a secondary home alarm system and a land shark here. Yes, you do have a land shark. (laughs) A chihuahua.
1: Yeah, don't mess with them, man. That's a whole other podcast. (laughs) All right. So, of course, the gossips continued. They even accused a priest of turning in his own son. A lot of lives just got turned upside down. Everyone's in fear. Guns are selling out. I mean, you can imagine. I mean, this is just like a horror film they're living in. So then... A couple of weeks go by, and again, we're on a weekend, and we're in the evening. In the isolated ranch home of Virgil and Katie Starks, they were a middle-aged couple and pretty much wanted to call it a day. Virgil was sitting in his recliner with a a heating pad and listening to his favorite TV program. Katie was in bed and heard someone walking through the backyard. She calls across the house to ask Virgil to turn down the radio so she can hear better. And then the next thing she heard was the sound of breaking glass. She went to see what happened. Virgil seemed to have set up and then fell right back down. Walking closer to him, she realized he was shot and blood was running down his body. I can only imagine what she was feeling. But she turned to the phone and started dialing the police's phone number. She goes to the window and looks out as she's dialing the number. And that's when the fire, that's when the bullets came. The first shot entered the right side of her face and exited through the left of her ear. Then the second shot went just below her mouth That made her jaw break open and teeth started falling to the floor. She could not see clearly because now blood was pouring down her face. So again, she could not see the killer. She was noticing after she came to from being shot so many times, she could hear the sound of the screen on her front porch door being ripped open. So with that, whatever strength she had, she mustered. She ran across through the house, out into the front row, and she ran to her sister's house. But then she realized they were not home. So she ran 50 yards to a man named Prater's house, and then the last thing she could possibly say was Virgil is dead, and then she collapsed to the ground. A local family took her to the hospital, and amazingly, she did not die. She didn't even go into shock from her wounds, and her heart rate remained normal. That's pretty amazing. That is really amazing. I mean, hit at a time in American life, serial killers were not really a known thing, and you know... It takes a lot of understanding to like think of the victimology. Now a rifle was used in this crime but if you move that away the M.O. is almost the same. You know it is three weeks later and Matt and and people who are serial killers have a lot of things to kill people with. They usually buy them for they use them.
0: I yeah and there there is also considered progression. I kind of when I read this portion I didn't think it was related because you have a thirty two Colt, I think is what was used in yeah. other crimes. And this was a twenty two caliber rifle. You know, being a Texan, my dad took me out shooting and they're quite different in how they handle. A thirty two is gonna be a smoother, less recoil. And then the twenty two, I, I mean twenty two is gonna blast off the face.
1: Okay. And see, I don't know. I mean, there, that's where, like, I could, I could hear that and the, yeah, and like hear the other. And that's why I think serial killers got away with it so much. They did find a flashlight there. The last people who were killed really fought roughly. He could have been afraid. And so he shot long distance, which could, thank God, whoever this was, the fact that they did that gave her enough space for him to get away, whomever it was. The motive does seem similar. It is at night. He shoots in the face which is interesting because a lot of serial killers who are doing a personal face injure. I'm wondering what this person went through before this. So let's talk about the suspects. Paulus and Larry's attacks, no one was ever apprehended or questioned because the cops pretty much thought they were withholding information. The Martin and Booker killings, there was first a cab driver, but he was rolled out. Another suspect was bought into questioning. April 27th, a man walked into the pawn shop and asked the clerk if they would buy a saxophone. She didn't like the feel of the guy, so she went back to the manager to ask him. And when she did this, he bolted out the door. The man was later arrested outside of his hotel trying to buy a gun. After looking closer at him, they did discover he had a bloodied shirt, but he could explain that that was from a bar fight and the trail went cold. He was no longer a suspect. The only police officer I really like here is Tackett. Officer Tackett is awesome. Officer Tackett notices a car on an abandoned road that was reported stolen one of the nights of the murders. So he went by to question the woman who was driving it. Her name was Peggy Swinney. She said that she had this car because her husband stole it for her. And that her husband, in fact, was in another town called Atlanta, Texas, selling a stolen car to another person. Her husband's name was Ewell Swinney, and they were recently married. The lead did pay off. Tackett went to question the man who he tried to sell the stolen car to, and he said... I really couldn't identify him if I saw him, which to me is interesting because if you're thinking about the first person's very tall from what the young couple explained on the lover's lane incident, that should stand out to a degree. But the guy he was talking to, they don't say why, but this is so Texas cowboy, like police officer. He's like, he might not, you might not recognize him, but he's going to recognize the look of you. So Tackett literally walks the man around Atlanta, Texas, in the main parts of town, until they see someone bolt through the back of the door of like a station or like some public gathering place. So they trace him down, he tackles him, and it turns out to be Ewell Sweeney. Ewell Sweeney does say, please don't shoot me. And Tackett, I think, kind of played this psychology card. He goes, I'm not gonna shoot you for stealing a car. And he said, don't BS me, you know I did more than steal a car.
0: This guy, was he a Texas Ranger? No, tag it wasn't. The Texas Ranger was useless. Okay. I believe that someone wrote a book about this and they... That's that's Officer Presley. Okay. And they all kind of think it was this guy because he apparently, once he was arrested and imprisoned again, the murders stopped. But I mean, there's a lot of reasons that can happen. Yeah, I agree. I definitely, like, have also read that he was also suspected for disappearance of -hmm. someone. Yeah. The thing is that I don't get with Yul Sweeney is his M.O. seemed to be car theft.
1: Yeah, his main thing was to get cars for money and sell them.
0: So he didn't take these people's money... And he, it just really seems like this was a terror-based crime.
1: It wasn't sexually motivated in the sense that he was ever going to interact sexually with the victims. He wanted to, his sexual gratification was important to him, but I don't think it was actually touching the bodies. it certainly wasn't from getting their money. It was from scaring them.
0: We really don't know because they didn't collect semen or anything like oh
1: and there's like two counties who are begging for them to take like these records they had of like recent men that they thought they shouldn't have sold guns to but because it's texas they went ahead and just did it and they're like we don't need your records and that was a texas ranger who said that
0: let's be honest in texas it's not that hard to get a gun even outside of the stores because one you can go down to your local walmart and buy one And then two, you can always buy one from someone who's a gun collector. And they're just like, oh, yeah, this was one of my cheaper guns. I'm not really into it anymore. You take
1: this and go forth with your life, young sir.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're like, everyone should have a gun. And maybe I believe that everyone should have had a rifle probably back in the- At this point, they did. They did. They took that advice very serious. They all had it. Back in the day when you had to shoot your rattlesnakes and there was no animal control.
1: Oh, I don't know. What I'm doing. I shoot everything that moved out there.
0: <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, I get it, but. So there's a couple of reasons. Did you hear about like Peggy and like what she was saying to the cops? No. So tell me, what did she say?
1: Peggy eventually gets blamed for finding that first car because they're like, okay, you have it. You must have stole it. And I do kind of agree with that. And she went to jail later because. I think that's why she was so quick to name where Ewell was, because I think she thought maybe they'd be like, oh, this is just a woman with a stolen car on the night of a murder. She didn't know anything. But I mean, cops were smart enough to know. Typically, the wife knew more than they wanted to say. So anyway, they got her on the car theft charge. She gave some details about the crime no one else would know. Honestly, I think a part of her was scared of Ewell, but I think a part of her also wanted money. And I do think part of his crimes were terror. And I think a part of his were making money off stolen cars.
0: Would it be so uncommon for a woman to have committed this crime? Because they were masked. She could have disguised her voice.
1: The rifle, the rifle killing, I could see it in the animated speaking. But there are parts of it where looking at her pictures, she kind of looks not... She looks like she's not very strong. She's kind of this very pretty, well-dressed woman. Now, that doesn't mean she couldn't. They usually do it. But in my
0: opinion,
1: no, I don't think she did it. I think she was in it for the money and she was just as guilty because she kept her mouth shut.
0: I don't know that for sure who it was because it's just, it doesn't really seem to have this huge. No hard facts were ever tied down in this case. No, but there was another suspect that I thought was interesting too, which was the kid who wrote the suicide letter admitting to yeah,
1: that little boy. He's 19.
0: Yeah. And as I mentioned, like terror-based crimes where there's not really much direction except for the chaos that comes. Yes. Kind I kinda feel like that's something that a younger person would do.
1: Oh, he was 18. Yeah, I, I agree with that. He's actually one of the. He was one of the ones where, because we're talking. He's 18. He's not a kid, but I'm a mom, and I kind of look at him like that from my age and just from like what I know about life. He had left a note saying he was responsible for the killings, and he puts it in this very theatrical way. He has like notes rolled up in the pen. I think he dies of cyanide. I don't remember how he killed himself,
0: but his name was Duty. His name was Duty Tennyson. H.B. Duty Tennyson. Of cyanide of mercury, what a terrible way to go! This essentially, he used rat poison. you think it was because it was accessible and he was just a kid? I wondered about that too. Yeah, I mean,
1: because he didn't have a gun. He says he dismantled the guns. Anyway, the cops looked into that. They said that was probably not right. There's a psychiatrist who talks or talks about you know the MO and like who the suspect could be, and she does or he does a bit of a gush on this guy, and I don't really like him because he's a racist. But I do agree with some of the family and friends. He was unstable. He had notes that were written that he was the killer of this and that also he wasn't. And honestly, I think he was just amping himself up to leave the world in a bigger way because the way he describes certain things doesn't check out with the investigations. And several friends vouched for at least one of the nights he says he killed someone.
0: And then also, I don't think there was any fingerprint matches either.
1: No, there were none. Now, interestingly enough, um, there were not fingerprint matches on, I think it was the Hollis and Larry attacks. Let me check. Hold on. So there were fingerprints left on the car, okay? And they were smeared. Now, here's something we have to know about fingerprint evidence. It's not as strong as you might think in the late 1940s. Mm Mm-hmm but they've looked at it today too. And they've also said, does it match? I do believe it now. If I hadn't read that, I'd probably like, okay, well, they're probably not really shooting with the best science viewpoint. They might not know, but there is a very probable case. He wasn't responsible for that mur- one murder, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how that valid, I guess that's my issue here. I don't know how that validates him from the other ones, other than they only had circumstantial evidence on him because he was damn lucky. No one really saw his face. I mean, I think he was just lucky. He was one of the first serial killers to hit. He hit in a multi-county town, which creates problems. You know, he hits at night. He hits the people who are alone. And for whatever reason gratified him, he hit couples. I think that that was what really made him escape being convicted was no one saw his face because he was just lucky and they didn't know who they were dealing with till it was probably too late. I do agree that if it's not Ewell... I don't think any other suspects are likely. Um, that's my opinion. I think there was a death that follows this that I don't think was Ewell's either. But there are deaths that were similar to his that you can kind of see a trail on. So I think there could be an unnamed person here who might be like a trucker or something that killed him.
0: Someone that was on the railroads. I mean, we know that those all happened and there are pretty gruesome attacks that were kind of violent. The problem is, is that it just it kind of goes cold in Texarkana. Now it did say that they had the Texas Rangers in town and then they kind of slipped out of town whenever there wasn't any problems.
1: Yeah, they were the one who made the public service announcement about welling up the guns. Okay, <laughs> that was my first issue. They turned down local county records because, you know, they're the Texas Rangers. And then, okay, the Starks crime scene was supposed to be left untouched, okay? And this is where I left Tackett. Tackett's the one guy, when I'm reading this, He is like, he should have been the Texas Ranger, in my opinion. This other guy was purely doing stuff for publicity. He said the first two murders weren't linked. How are they not? The motive and the weapon match.
0: I think the first two were definitely linked. I don't know last one because it's a different weapon. And he didn't hit them in a car. He hit home, which is slightly different too. And that's, you've got to stake
1: them out. Now they did find some material on Ewell's clothing that matched this glass substance that Virgil had in his shop that he worked at so he could have stocked them but that just seems so organized to me and that first
0: two seems so crazy i would imagine that there's just not a whole bunch of diversity in supplies in a small town in texas there might what two two suppliers you know i don't know that that's necessarily good enough
1: I agree with that. That's certainly nothing you can arrest a man over. They did find a chart that whenever it lit up in the dark had the word Stark on it, but that doesn't mean anything either. Stark was an uncommon name. I mean, you can't, these are all just so thinly circumstantial things. Now, if they would have maybe looked at how he bought his gun and what the people thought about it or interviewed more people deeply, I think they would have. But like I said, there was this like celebrity Texas Ranger, which some of them were back then. And I won't say his name, so I don't upset people, but he was a big, important-to-do guy. He later went to Hollywood and, like, helped people, like, with their sound equipment stuff. He was, like, an advice dude. And he was actually seen at the Starks' home. It was supposed to be roped off, and no one was supposed to go there. And at night, the neighbors see someone coming out. They get tacket, as you would want to do. And they go, they hide low in the bushes. And who should come out but this one particular Texas Ranger and this reporter for Times Magazine. And he's like, we. I was just having her shoot some realistic photos in the home. And Tackett's quoted as saying, "As soon as the media and the goddamn Texas Rangers move out of here, I can
0: solve this crime." And I actually think he probably could have him and Presley. Texas Rangers have good and bad stories, but one thing that did yes. one thing that they did bring to the town was a little element of fear, I guess. Maybe, you know, whenever the FBI gets involved, too, on crimes, it does... It's an extra eye, just on... I
1: agree. Did they stay after three months, or did they only stay three months? I never double-checked that.
0: Oh, it says they stayed for three months, and then Yule Swinney was put into prison for... Um, I mean, it wasn't for the murders, but it was for car theft. Everything died down after that. Do you think that was, like, a plea deal? I don't think so. I yeah. think that... Texas especially back then loved to hang people it was a public event I could yeah you're right some people think it was a plea deal I don't know I mean hey, the point is is that people were no longer dying so it's a good thing but I do pin Yule Swinney on the first two I don't know about anything else though I
1: know if he didn't commit all of them the other person probably did go on to kill somewhere else I think that it was such a small town and like the, the rumor reels were going, the Doberman Pinchers were coming out and the guns and like the stylized Texas Rangers. I think he felt it was coming in too quick. And I think self-preservation is a big thing for serial killer, So he took
0: off. And then he could have died of, I don't know, dehydration. Texas is hot. It's Texas is Yeah, Texas is very hot. <laughs> No Have
1: yours, Zarka man, you're going down.
0: Whenever I went to Texarkana, it was kind of a weird city. It just felt like there was a huge disconnect between reality. Just the, not saying that the people weren't nice, but things didn't really jive in the way that I'm used to. For instance, I went into a building and there was about five people standing in front of an elevator and no one had pressed the button. So I naturally, the first thing I think is, oh, the button must be broken. it might be related to tacket. But then I was like, well, I'm going to hit it just in case because that's what I do when I want the elevator to come faster. So I hit it and it lit up and everyone just like appeared a little stunned.
1: You're a voice of the generation of Texarkana. <laughs> but
0: they had other issues too. Like I went to the grocery store and they were like locking up grocery carts because people were stealing grocery carts. I'm like, this is weird guys. This is, this is weird. Grocery carts are metal. They get hot in the sunshine. Just take your plastic bags people. Oh my goodness. It was, it was ridiculous. I was like, I have no idea what's going on here. And then someone's like, they do a lot of meth here. But they always say that about small towns. There probably is a lot of meth there, Cindy. <laughs> just being honest. I, I swear, every time I go out to like some country sites, they're like, yeah, there's a lot of meth here. And I'm like... They just sold some to Betty. See, the other day, she got 15 years. So this, the Phantom Slains actually you know, turned into a movie, which they watch once a year in the park. They celebrate, okay, I'm sorry, they all get together, probably in that one park where the car was
1: discovered from those two kids, oh my gosh, who commemorates, see, this is why they do this stuff, I mean, we're talking about him now, I am, I talk about them more because of the victims, and I do feel like the show, the showmanship that some people really wanted in this investigation deterred it, Right. but I think that they were doing it maybe just because it's an adrenaline rush, you know, that this happened.
0: I just think it's weird. And Have you watched it? No, because it was made in the 70s and it's probably really stupid. Oh, I remember something about it. They actually
1: put on there, this is based on the true events. I'm like, they don't even know the goddamn true events. Every, most, I mean, like five out of eight people died. The other two only saw like a blanket like on the person's face. Like, how do you like, this is what happened in Texarkia. Like, no, grab your meth and your date come down to the park and watch this
0: this is such a stereotypical trope in a lot of movies though now is that the they're, they're on lover's lane and the killer with the hook hand comes by so you know i guess maybe that's probably more the reason for me not watching it is it is such a trope even if it was based on some true events that happen but i really like whenever i find these stories Especially for places that I've visited, and it's just that are as fascinating and deep in culture as Texarkana. Texarkana probably has some crazy stories, just because it's an old Texas city, and Texas, Texas is an interesting state. And didn't you say at the time, like there was there were a lot of like implants coming down there to
1: work, like after the longer worked at the Red River, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the military way you have to have rotation. But I did look up the guns that were issued at that time. And it, I think 45 was the caliber used for the pistols.
1: And that does go back to the fact that they don't think he was military. I don't know how they were savvy enough to get that. But they could, they could see maybe, I mean, but you know, every man was in the army at that point, you know, so it was like, they they could probably tell a non army man from them
0: and i will say that 45s like for my friends guns are more common than a 32 but women tend to shoot 22s which the 22 pistol hmm. uh just cuz it has less of a kickback I, i've never shot a 32 i read somewhere that it was a police issue at that time
1: oh okay wow so maybe- it could have been. I mean, there, there's a lot of them that either are, like, I'm doing, I'm, like, four chapters into someone who wanted to be a cop, so he befriended cops, and, like, their underlining reason for it was authority.
0: It's Kemper.
1: <laughs> I'm fascinated. I don't really like him as much, but I like this man named John Douglas, and honestly, I think he taught, I think in those creepy interviews he had with him and many others, he learned how to be so good, because he really engaged with them, and Kemper was so open like he was open he was a liar but he but if for a psychologist who's been doing this for so long you know don douglas knew when he was lying you know so he did get a
0: lot of good stuff Kimper i think would never have gotten caught if he got didn't turn himself in
1: no no and you know there probably were kempers out there i mean that's what i'm saying i mean this guy sometimes they actually go to play like kemper was not the only person picking up girls and killing them kemper was the one who was so organized that's another podcast
0: yeah yeah, no, and we—that's my podcast. <laughs> we can put it in the episode notes for people who are interested. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I'll actually have you come up there, uh, you know, because you like this and you're so thorough with details. Like, I can know kind of events and names and ages and actions, but like that one place you just told me, the red place—I don't. That didn't go in my brain.
0: I love to find out what's going on with a place and if maybe it contributed to any kind of hostilities or bad events uh that take place and you know honestly it kind of goes into the paranormal too it gives the town its folklore so this is part of the folklore but it's based on the truth and i think it's important to hear what happens especially for the victims and since we don't know the killer he gets no name
1: yeah <laughs> just like that one texas ranger wants media attention he's dead but
0: i will not say his name. i i know what i know what one he is but i, I hate him agree that he was a racist <laughs> All right, so I'm going to conclude the episode and we're going to have Mary back again for another Texas True Crime next month. Yay! <laughs> if you would, if you like what we are talking about, please rate and subscribe on however you're listening to this podcast. And we can be found at tiltheadpod at gmail.com for any questions or personal experiences in Texarkana. So that's T I L T. H E A D P O D at Tilt That's T I L T H E A D P O D at Gmail.com and Tilt Head Pod on Instagram. And Mary, as the way we like kind of finish up these things, is the same way I finish up all my work calls. I just say over and out and then I hang up. So ready? Over and out. Tilt head. Over and out. Over and out.